I am sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand, and now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. That is a text message from Hunter Biden to Henry Zhao, an influential member of the Chinese Communist Party, whom the first son was shaken down for money on July 30th, 2017. It's about as smoking a smoking gun on corruption as there is. And maybe Hunter was bluffing. Maybe, I want to be as fair as I can be. Maybe Joe Biden wasn't really sitting next to his son when his son sent that text. We know that Joe has gotten involved in Hunter's crooked affairs in the past. We know that Joe Biden threatened to withhold a billion dollars in American aid to Ukraine unless Ukraine fired a prosecutor that was investigating a shady Ukrainian company that paid boatloads of cash to the Biden family. We know all of this. We've got texts and photos and videos, unfortunately. We know that no Biden or Clinton or any elite Democrat is going to be prosecuted for it. Hunter Biden might get probation on a tax misdemeanor or two. As the GOP presidential primary heats up, the main debate right now between all the candidates is over electability. Is Trump too obnoxious to win moderates? Is DeSantis too straight-laced to fire up the base? Fair questions. But those are secondary questions. In 2020, liberal elites were so hell-bent on stopping a second Trump term that they shut down the country and changed all the voting rules to benefit them. Our current president and his family can commit egregious corruption and crimes documented by gigabytes worth of texts, photos, and videos. They all get off scot-free. The leader of the opposition, Donald Trump, kept some presidential documents like all of his predecessors have, mishandled classified information, maybe, like the big prominent Democrats have, and they're trying to lock that guy up for life. The chief question of electability is not whether a candidate can appeal to suburban moms. The chief question of electability is whether the system will still allow a Republican presidential candidate to get elected at all. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Really important news breaking, which is that Bud Light is digging the hole even deeper for themselves. Just digging and digging and digging. They've got a new commercial out. Can't wait to get to it. First, though, on electability. That's what this campaign's about. Trump is running on the Trump campaign. DeSantis is also running in the Trump lane. You've got a bunch more moderate candidates or candidates running a campaign like it's 2008, and it's not they're not going anywhere. There are still some candidates coming out of left field, but if you look at the poll numbers, it's Trump versus DeSantis. They both have the same campaign platform. So the campaign is about electability, who can win and then wield power. And there's a new poll that just came out from Emerson College, which 
I think shakes up some of the conventional wisdom on this. Conventional wisdom right now is DeSantis has a much better shot at being elected than Donald Trump. Maybe that's true. Maybe with polls, you, you know, a polls and a buck fifty will get you a cup of coffee. But according to this poll, both DeSantis and Trump lose to Joe Biden. And according to this poll, actually, according to this poll, Trump does better than DeSantis against Biden. According to Emerson, 44% would vote for Biden. 43% would vote for Trump. And 43% would vote for Biden versus DeSantis. And only 37% would vote for DeSantis. But here's where it gets kind of weird. If Cornell West, the leftist populist candidate, is in the race on election day, then only in that circumstance does the Republican win. Trump, 41, Biden, 40, Cornell West, 6%. You know me, I am the most skeptical of polls and statistics broadly, as anybody gets, but especially this far out, especially national polls. But this is really interesting, not because of what it says about Trump and DeSantis, not even really what it says about those guys versus Joe Biden. It's the Cornell West thing. Cornell West pulls votes, not from Trump, but from Biden. Cornell West has something in common with both Trump and Biden, which is that he's a, a leftist, so he has something in common with Biden, but he's a populist, so he has something in common with Trump. And what we see here is that when a leftist populist gets in the race, he pulls from the leftist candidate, which would help the right-wing populist candidate, and which tells you that there is lots of room for a populist movement to grow. In 2016, there were a lot of voters who came out and said, I've never voted before, or I've always been you know, maybe a Democrat, but now I'm voting for Trump. The phenomenon of the Trump Democrats, just like you saw the Reagan Democrats back in 1980. Some people think, well, there is just a, a ceiling on the support that Trump can get. There's a ceiling on the support that a populist candidate can get. This poll suggests that's not true. I think there's a lot of room for a populist candidate to grow. Now, maybe Trump's got his supporters and there's not a ton of room for, for that to grow, unless Joe Biden completely craters, which is a totally plausible scenario. But in terms of populism generally, cracking up the sort of uniparty monopoly and the, the stale old talking points and the stale old priorities of both parties, there's a ton of room, it would seem, to grow. You'd grab 5% from the libs immediately. And if you had a candidate who was better than Cornell West, you could probably grab a lot more than that. If you think that populism is over or on the decline, as I think a lot of establishment Republicans are hoping is the case. I think a lot of establishment Republicans, frankly, are hoping that if Trump gets a nomination in, in 2024, that he loses, and then the GOP can finally reset to the good old happy days of Mitt Romney and, I don't know, Asa Hutchinson and all these squishes, and they can become Democrat light again. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's what the numbers show. And people are going to be talking about that a lot over the next 18 months. When you want to talk to your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, a company I'm proud to stand behind and that is proud to stand behind us and our country is Pure Talk. Veteran-owned with a 100% American workforce, they share our beliefs. That is why Pure Talk is the official cell phone wireless partner of The Daily Wire. But that's not the only reason. Pure Talk also happens to be the most dependable 5G network in the U.S. They're a top-tier provider at a fraction of the cost of other woke companies. You know which ones I'm talking about? ATT, Verizon, T-Mobile, companies that don't care about you or your beliefs. Mix and match your plans to fit every person in your family. Choose from talk, 
text, and 5G data for just $20 a month, all the way up to unlimited data with a mobile hotspot for $55 a month. You vote with how you spend your money, so stop supporting woke wireless companies that do not support you. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. You will get great coverage and save while you're doing it. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. You will save an additional 50, 50% off your first month because they value you. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Pure Talk, wireless for Americans by Americans. Now, I don't want to get back to Hunter Biden because Hunter Biden, who I have not hammered on this show, I know some right-wing hosts, they talk about Hunter Biden all the time. Most of his shenanigans, I think, are not all that interesting. They're just sort of depraved and gross and sad. But these really are interesting. The man is the poster child for the corrupt elite. And he's committed all sorts of crimes in virtually every genre, I think. And he gets off without so much as really even a slap on the wrist. He'll get maybe some probation for the tax misdemeanors, and then he goes into a diversion program for his gun charge. But I think Jenna Ellis found this still on the DOJ website. It would appear that Hunter Biden is not even eligible for this diversion program, which is a way to avoid jail time and eventually have the gun charge expunged from his record. Because the DOJ says, absent approval by the Office of the Deputy Attorney General, any pretrial diversion program created by a U.S. Attorney's Office shall exclude any individual who is accused of an offense related to child pornography, accused of an offense related to serious bodily injury or death. And then here's number three. Accused of an offense involving brandishing or use of a firearm or other deadly weapon. We can see, we have photographs of Hunter Biden brandishing his weapon. So they're, they're probably at the DOJ, they're going to try to, to be really, really uh, specific about the definition of brandishing to exclude whatever Hunter did. Or they're just going to ignore it like, like our prosecutors do so often now when, when it involves politically favored people and groups. They're going to say, okay, never mind. Now, one of the criticisms of this corrupt elite ruling class and, and the way that Hunter Biden is just getting off with a ton of crimes, no big deal, is they're going to say, well, you know, the lower class never gets off with these kinds of crimes. Oh, it's those rich, politically connected people. They get away with murder, but the, the poor people on the street, they never get away with anything. And that's not exactly true. These diversion programs are largely for lower class people on the street with all sorts of records and all sorts of bad neighborhoods. Plenty of street criminals and gangsters get these exact deals. I mean, this is the whole point of the Soros prosecutors. The, the leftist installed prosecutors who get into their jobs and they stop prosecuting street crime because they'll say, well, if we prosecute certain crimes, it's more likely to uh, involve black people, and that would be racist. And for racial equity, we're going to let gangsters back onto the street. And we're going to into pretrial diversion programs, and we're going to give them, you know, bond, and we're going to let them off on probation and all the rest of it. And they go commit more crimes. The distinction here with the corruption of the DOJ and the prosecutors more generally is not that it's the rich get one set of rules and the poor get another set of rules. Donald Trump's pretty rich, and they're going to try to throw him in prison for the rest of his life because he kept his own presidential documents for a little bit because he committed crimes that all of his crimes that all of his predecessors committed and that Democrats who never even were president have committed. No, it's not a, it's not a rich versus poor thing. It's just a politically favored versus politically disfavored thing. If you are a black street criminal in a Democrat city, you are more likely to get off the hook for crimes. You'll be put in one of these programs. 
And if you are the degenerate first son, the son of the president who commits all sorts of crimes, you're more likely to get off too. And if you're a conservative and if you threaten the ruling class, whether you're poor, whether you're in the middle, whether you're rich, they're going to throw the book at you. You could be a poor, deplorable, hillbilly, irredeemable white guy from the, from the red states. You could be a Midwestern granny who was taking some photos in the Capitol Rotunda on January 6th, the worst day in history. Or you could be a billionaire president of the United States. Doesn't matter. If you oppose the ruling class, that's when they go after you. Last thing with Hunter, there's another story out. As I've said, I don't really like to dig in too much to all of his personal, saucy, disgusting scandals because they're just tawdry and they don't shed much light on things. This one does though. Uh, Hunter Biden was a member of an elite LA sex club called Sanctum. Sanctum. It's just like all businesses that were started around 2012 and 2013, all these millennial businesses from you know, consulting startups to sex dungeons, apparently. They took the vowels out. So it's S-N-C-T-M. Sanctum. It's a private members club that prioritizes the safety and privacy of their esteemed members above all. And it involves a ton of Hollywood celebrities and big people in the news media and I won't, I won't name the names, but they're, you can read about them. They're really very prominent, famous people. And apparently the club was founded after the movie Eyes Wide Shut came out. So it's not just that Eyes Wide Shut parties really exist. Remember Madison Cawthorn, the Republican congressman, mentioned that there were Eyes Wide Shut parties in D.C. and then he was immediately just ejected from Congress. <laughs> well, well, it turns out the Eyes Wide Shut parties, they happen in Hollywood. They're real. They involve very wealthy, famous people. And they're consciously Eyes Wide Shut parties. They're based on the movie Eyes Wide Shut. So anyway, the club costs 75 grand a year to become a member, and it includes actors, rock stars, CEOs, even city officials, according to the LA Times, and Hunter Biden was a member of this club. What's most striking about the existence of this club is not that it involved Hunter Biden. If something is degenerate in America over the last 15 years, there's a good bet that Hunter Biden was involved in it. What's striking about this club is that it's no different from activities that have taken place since the dawn of human history among depraved, elite, esoteric, immoral people. <laughs> it's been going on forever. Just after I read the piece about the elite LA Eyes Wide Shut sex club, I read a piece about an ancient Egyptian cult that got high on psychedelics and drank bodily fluid cocktails. This is just a story. I think it was on the Drudge Report. 2,500-year-old ancient Egyptian cult used to get high on psychedelics, drink fluid from places that they shouldn't drink it from, and uh, also, also had all sorts of alcoholic drinks and drugs. An archaic vase from the era resembling the deity Bez, who is some demon that the ancient Egyptians worshipped uh, of fertility and war, showed traces of psychoactive substances. Uh, the cult members who took the drug would experience delirium, hallucinations, and heightened libido. They would use this to trip during their religious ceremonies, and the religious ceremonies would involve uh, orgies, would involve all sorts of uh, orgies and weird, gross activities. This is the same thing as the LA Eyes Wide Shut Sex Club. The LA Sex Club is called Sanctum. Sanctum, meaning holy, coming from the word to consecrate. 
The LX Sex Club, I guarantee you, involved a lot of alcohol and drugs. So, and then it involved a lot of weird ideas about what a human being is and how we relate to one another and, and what is sacred. It's not just that these guys were getting their jollies by bumping uglies in some weird dungeon in Los Angeles. They considered this to be holy. The, the way that our society talks about Pride Month and all the weird sexual rituals involved with pride, they, they speak about it as though it is holy, as though it is virtuous, as though it is a kind of religion. Because it is. It's, it's the same old kinds of cults. It's the same old kinds of demon-worshipping cults that we've had since 3,000 years ago in ancient Egypt. And people often don't realize when they're in a cult. People often don't realize when they're engaging in religious rituals. I bet a lot of the guys at that sex club, they just think they're having a fun time and they're cool and they're modern and they don't believe in anything, man. They're doing the exact same thing as an ancient Egyptian cult consciously worshiping demons. Can't get away from it. Human nature just, just remains the same. As speaking of parties and weird sex stuff, Bud Light has a new ad out. I'm just going to catch up really quickly on the timeline. Bud Light sponsors puts them on a beer can. The, the Bud, Bud Light sales tank. People revolt against it. Bud Light doesn't apologize. Bud Light sort of doubles down. Then Bud Light blames it on some VP of marketing and puts her on leave. And I think maybe fires her. I don't remember. I think she's probably gone. Then Bud Light doubles down on it. Then Bud Light makes a commercial about horses then Bud Light still won't apologize for the beer can as the sales continue to tank. Then Bud Light begs people to buy their beer again, but Bud Light still won't apologize. And now Bud Light has this commercial, a, a, a true work of art, a truly completely ignorant, wrongheaded work of art on why you should buy Bud Light again. There we go. He's an older white guy rubbing Bud Light on his face. People hauling a Bud Light keg. Guy keeps dropping his Bud Light. What a bunch of goofy, dumb, stupid, pick, idiot, rude Bud Light drinkers. Uh, they keep stumbling and falling. Now it's kind of windy. Oh, look at this dummy. He can't even get into a hammock. Yeah, oh, this guy can't even. They've got to know how to tap a keg. Like stupid Bud Light drinkers. There we go. We got more middle-aged white guys. I don't know. I don't know what the commercial is trying to tell you. Other than middle-aged white guys and kind of fratty-looking guys, the two main constituencies for Bud Light, uh, they're just a bunch of stupid, klutzy idiots. Now buy our beer, dummies. <laughs> they do. It started out with that VP of marketing saying, we hate how we've got this kind of fratty, you know, vibe of, of Bud Light. We just hate, we, we want to switch it. So we want to embrace the cultured, beautiful, serious, sophisticated 
people. And then the actual audience for Bud Light went away. They said, all right, you sloppy, filthy, deplorables, whatever. Here, let's, let, here's a couple pictures of you stumbling around because you don't even know how to put two feet in front of you. Yeah, okay, drink it up. Drink up our slop. You going to buy it yet? No, that's probably not going to work. Not very effective. Even if they're just trying to return to normal and say, hey, Bud Light is just what you drink at a party. It's easy to drink. Please buy our drink again. Here's what I have to say. Until Bud Light tweets out my CPAC speech, the eradication speech, in its entirety with three thumbs up emojis, the boycott continues. I hereby decree, and I think you will see that reflected in the market cap, okay? We're not going to, we're not going to look, we're not, we're not going to just stand by and allow Bud Light to make us look that bad. And when you want to look really good, by the way, you got to check out GenuCell. Right now, go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles. What is the biggest summer secret to a great looking, glowing summer complexion? It's having great skincare products from our friends at GenuCell. Dehydrated skin covered in dark spots, puffier bags under the eyes. That's a problem for all of us. GenuCell's beautifully curated summer essentials package is a limited edition package that includes their one-of-a-kind Ultra Retinol Super Moisturizer. Their Ultra Retinol is a powerful plant extract alternative to retinol without the harsh side effects and is perfectly safe to use in that summer sun. Plus, you will get GenuCell's Classic skincare Therapy for under eye bags and puffiness and concentrated vitamin C serum to nourish your skin for a visibly clear complexion with a glow that will get you compliments everywhere. I love GenuCell. I think the product works great. It's terrific. And also, I love the founder who is a Coptic Christian from Egypt who came over here for the American dream. Go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles right now. Get your GenuCell Summer Essentials Package just for the summer. Every subscription order includes a customized summer spa gift box, totally free. GenuCell.com slash Knowles. Head on over to GenuCell.com slash Knowles. Folks, I am introducing to you the Precision 5 Razor. One handle plus one blade cartridge kit for only $14.99. Jeremy's lowest cost for a razor and only for a limited time. It's crafted with a luxurious tungsten handle, five welded steel blades, and a flip back trimmer for a close, smooth shave around hairlines and hard to reach places. But remember, the Precision 5 is no ordinary razor. It's a sword in the battle for beliefs, a banner to wave into a new economy, a precision instrument to force woke companies to earn back your dollar and stop denigrating your beliefs. It's also still a razor and will give you a great shave. The Precision 5 is starting at $14.99, and with a price so low, it has never been easier to stop giving your money to woke corporations that hate you. Join over 125,000 men who have ditched their woke razors and switched to Jeremy's. There's never been a better time or price. Go to jeremysrazors.com today. My favorite comment yesterday is from Guthrie1, who says, I am so thrilled Elon Musk has banned the word cis, the marginalization of normal people has finally come to an end, or at least maybe the beginning of the end, or at least normal people are pushing back. I love this. I love this. I, I got into a little uh, dispute with some more libertarian-minded people on Twitter over this issue because they said, well, if, if Elon bans the word cis from Twitter, that's no different from the libs banning us from, you know, calling a man a man and a woman a woman. There's no, nobody, there is a difference because we shouldn't marginalize normal people, to use the phrase of Norm MacDonald, because true things are different than false things, and good things are different than bad things, and we should treat them differently. <laughs> Just because they're things doesn't mean they're all the same. Baking a pie for a widow is, is different from, uh, I don't know, kicking a little baby across, across the street. 
They're both things that you can do, but we treat them differently. The substance of them uh, is, is quite different. And so uh, it is great stuff. We need to stop marginalizing normal people. Speaking of the rainbow flag, speaking of very smart people, Senator Ted Cruz had a beautiful exchange with the head of the Human Rights Campaign. The Human Rights Campaign perhaps the most preposterously named organization in world history. It's this radical pro-rainbow sex stuff group. And uh, the head of it, Kelly Robinson, was testifying before the Senate, was asked a very simple question from Ted Cruz. We all know the question that Matt and Marsha Blackburn popularized, which is, what is a woman? Matt popularized it in the culture, and then Marsha popularized it in the U.S. Senate. That's not the question that Senator Cruz asked. He asked the next level question. Ms. Robinson, do you agree with Ms. Gaines that there's a difference between women and men? If the question is about trans women... I'm just asking, is there a difference between women and men? What I can say here is that the NCAA has rules in place. They've had rules in place for the last decade, and when this competition Okay, okay, I'm I'm going to try again. The rules were clear. Do you believe there's a difference between women and men? It's a yes-no question. Do you believe there's a difference? Oh, I think that we're talking about this case with the NCAA. No, I'm asking a question. Do you believe there's a difference between women and men? Most people could answer this very simply. I'm curious if you're willing to do so. Oh, absolutely. I'm just putting it into the context of the conversation that we're having. I think that there are definitions related to sex. Is that a yes? So I'm trying to get a yes or no. I'm not trying to get get a speech. Is there a difference between women and men? I think that there are definitions for biological sex. So you're not answering that. Let me ask you. (laughs) This is so great. And Ted is just so good at this. He's so good at grilling people in the Senate because he's extremely intelligent. And, And because he realizes here After the what is a woman phenomenon, where you you get these sputtering pro-trans people to not be able to answer a very simple question, then you ask, where do you go from there? Is there anywhere to go? No, we've reached the heights of absurdity. That's it. That's all we can say. But that's not true because there is an even simpler question that you can get them to answer or try to answer, which is, is there a difference between men and women? What is a woman is a fairly complicated question. I don't want to sound like some lib hippie, you know, like, well, what do we even mean by gender, man? But it is a little bit complicated. We all know what a woman is, but to define a woman is a little tricky. When when the materialist types want to define a woman, say, woman is two X chromosomes and a uterus. I think, well, I think a woman's more than that, right? I I frankly think that a woman is more closely defined as uh, sugar and spice and everything nice than as just a couple chromosomes. I don't know what what a chromosome is. No, what is a woman? Okay, it's a little bit more complicated. But the question, are men and women different? That is the simplest version of it possible. And they can't even answer that one. The other reason that this is a really brilliant question is it involves more than just the transgender phenomenon. It involves the whole sexual revolution. This is the sort of thing I've been talking about Actually, I gave it in my CPAC speech, though this part of my speech was not covered, and I've talked about it since then from time to time, which is that if if you think that the rainbow activism right now is really crazy, then you've got to go a little further back than just the trans movement. Right now, conservatives had been fighting this battle on just at what age it's okay to trans somebody. Do you do it when they're seven years old? Do you wait till they're eight years old? Then now some people finally are talking about, okay, do we just reject transgenderism entirely? But it goes further than that. 
the way we got transgenderism was by redefining marriage because we said men and women are basically the same. And the way we redefine marriage is, is from the sexual revolution where we said men and women are basically the same. And the place we got the sexual revolution was from feminism, which said men and women are basically the same. So it goes much, much deeper. Senator Cruz goes on. Let me ask you this question then. Why do women's sports exist? If you can't define a difference between women and men, why not abolish women's sports and just tell little girls to swim with little boys and see who wins? Oh, I'm simply saying that um, that sex My is question, different than gender. Why and I do, do believe why that women's, do women's sports, sports have a great exist? value. I mean, Senator, I'll M- tell you M- right Ms. now. Ms. Robinson, please answer the question I'm asking you. Absolutely. Why do women's sports exist? I think that there are so many positive benefits to sports. But I mean, why have a separate category for women? If, if, you, if there's no difference between women and men, why to have women's sports? I'm saying that there's a difference between sex and gender, and that the NCAA has rules in place, which they have for the so last Mr. decade. Mr. Chairman, I, I would that. like. And she won't answer it. She can't answer it. And Cruz is so smart here because Cruz could have a philosophical discourse on what makes a human being. Senator Cruz could go into Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas and all matter of anthropology. And he's not doing that because that would fly over virtually everybody's head. He's asking an historical question here. Why do we have women's sports at all? And that historical question is not really quite as contentious and up for debate as the philosophical or anthropological question or theological questions related to it. Just a basic one. Hey, why why did we pass Title IX? Hey, why did we create women's sports leagues? The answer is because men and women are different and because men are physically stronger than women. That's why. It's, it's that simple. And even if you think that that is not true and that that wasn't a good basis to start women's sports, or maybe you don't think women's sports should be started at all, you can't deny that was the reason that the sports leagues were started. And the very fact that that was the reason is damning because it, it shows you that everyone for all of human history understood that men and women are different until today. He asks, are, are, is, it, is there a benefit to women's sports? You know, is there, is there a good thing that we have women's sports? And she says, oh, sports are a good thing. I didn't ask you if sports are a good thing. I'm asking a very simple question. They can't answer it because they know that, they, that when you do answer it, you've got the authority of pretty much every human being ever versus their cockamamie fantasies. There is a big danger, by the way, in taking on the transgender cult. Senator Cruz deserves a lot of credit here. There's there's a story just came out. Uh, Tennessee Republicans, top Tennessee Republicans received suspicious packages. Uh, Radical trans activism suspected this because the uh, transgender activists have been protesting what the Republicans are doing about uh, stopping transing of the kids. There have been other uh, uh, Kansas lawmakers who have received similar threatening packages. Uh, I'll tell you, I've gotten involved in some political debates over the years and irritated various different groups. The degree of threats that come in from the trans activists, it's not even close to the other groups. It's It's on a completely different level, which of course makes sense. Why are the pro-trans activists so particularly violent? It's because their view of the world is particularly divorced from reality. That, that's why. Other groups are violent too. I'm not denying it. But the, the trans groups, because they are so unhinged, because they are so un, untethered to reality, they get particularly 
violent. A really, really sad story that just came out. Four kids aged between five and 10 taken into care after being found at a drag party with a dead trans woman's body on the floor and drugs and sex toys scattered throughout the hoarder home. I won't go into too many of the details about it, the story from the Daily Mail. Really, really sad story. I'm not saying that all of the transgender culture is like that. Obviously, that is a particularly headline-making, terrible story. But I'm not saying it's not totally like that, or it's not like that generally either. The, the reality of transgenderism is a lot closer to that than it is to Will and Grace or RuPaul's Drag Show or whatever. Okay, And we are told in our culture that the transgender identity and lifestyle and ideology is really great and wonderful and it's rainbows and it's fabulous and it's fun and everyone's expressive and happy. And that's completely BS. And the reality of it is a lot closer to this gory headline that you can make a horror movie out of. You know how I know that? Because 41% of people who identify as trans kill themselves or try to kill themselves. That's how I know that. And that's a sad fact. And that's one of the reasons why I so vocally discourage people from adopting the transgender ideology. That's one of the reasons why I say the ideology has to be eradicated from public life, because it is misery-inducing, because it's untethered from reality. And 41% of the time, it leads people to try to kill themselves. And that's not something that the regime is going to tell you, and that's not something that the media and your teachers, and it, they don't want to tell you that. The transgender ideology and identity are growing. They're being adopted at now, every single year, multiples more people are identifying with this ideology. And if we had an accurate portrayal of it in our culture, it would look a lot more, it would look a lot more like this uh, drag horror show with dead bodies and kids and all sorts of mania than it would like whatever nonsense you're seeing in some Pride Month TV commercial. When you want to learn real stuff, you got to check out places like Hillsdale College. Right now, head on over to hillsdale.edu slash Knowles. Are you a few years or maybe decades out of school and wondering what the heck did I even learn and what was the point? You might think to yourself that you don't have the time to learn something new. If that's you, know this. You're not alone. It's not too late. Since 1844, Hillsdale College has been providing education in faith, freedom, and character. They've taken some of the core classes they teach on campus and made them available for free online for anyone who wants to learn. That is right, for free. There are 39 free courses to choose from, ranging from the U.S. Constitution, the Book of Genesis, the free market, and much more. They are easy to follow. They're self-paced, so you can start whenever you want. In fact, you can start right now. It's everything you need all in one place with no long-term commitment. Let Hillsdale College be your guide. Learn when and where you want. Go to hillsdale.edu slash Knowles to enroll. No cost. It's easy to get started hillsdale.edu slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, hillsdale.edu slash Knowles. Finally, finally, we've arrived at my favorite time of the week when I get to hear from you in the mailbag. The mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to get 50% off your first month. Take it away. Hey, Michael, this is Camille, and I have a quick question for you. So I'm in the market for a new roommate and a guy friend of mine who is just a friend, but it can get kind of flirty sometimes, asked if he could be my roommate. He says he thinks we'd be great. We get along really well, and I do love him as a friend, but I just wanted to know, do you think this is not a good idea, even if we are just friends? Thanks. What do you think, Camille? What do you think I think about that? What do you really think about that? I think by your very question, you know the answer. That's not a good idea. 
look, we're just friends. We're just, it's totally platonic. I mean, it's a little flirty sometimes, but it's not, and it's fine. Kind of like him, but mostly just as a friend. Is it a good idea if we move in together with all of our hormones and all of our natural attractions? Is that, do you think that'll work out well? Uh, no. And maybe you should date this guy. I don't know. But if, if you date the guy, you definitely shouldn't just like move in together before you start dating. Forget about it before you start getting married. Good grief. Uh, no, Camille, bad idea. You, if you have a roommate, you should have a girl roommate. Sometimes a little flirty. Come on, Camille. Uh, next question. Good morning, Mr. Knowles. This is Murder of Crows. I highly appreciate you taking your community's thoughts and questions. I have a thought that I would love your reaction to. I will not be voting for Donald Trump this election cycle, primarily, as you have pointed out in the past, that Trump is only going to be able to serve four years. His continual attacks on Ron DeSantis currently give me pause. Specifically, if Donald Trump is not thinking forward in the future, his attacks currently on Ron DeSantis will greatly inhibit Trump's ability to support Ron DeSantis in four years, regardless of who wins on the high assumption that Ron DeSantis will run again in the next election cycle. How is Donald Trump going to then back Ron DeSantis with all of the predation that he's putting on Ron DeSantis currently and then switch sides and say, no, Ron DeSantis is a really great guy. I'm going to support him in four years. Thank you for your time. You have a wonderful day. Very easily. Trump does that all the time. You remember when, when Trump said that Lion Ted was, you know, the most dishonest person he ever met. He puts his hand on the Bible and then he lies, 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 L-Y-I-N apostrophe Lion Ted. And then what happens when Senator Cruz is running for re-election to the Senate? Trump comes in and he says, oh, we got beautiful Ted over here. I, I, yeah, I, maybe I used to call him other stuff, but now he's beautiful Ted. I love Ted. He's great. He's a great senator. You should all vote for him. So Trump does this all the time. That, that would not be hard for him to support DeSantis, say, in, in four years. But uh, beyond that, Trump is going to attack DeSantis because DeSantis is his chief rival in the race. That's normal. That's just called running for president. And DeSantis is going to attack Trump. And then if Trump is the nominee, DeSantis is probably going to endorse him. And if DeSantis is the nominee this time, Trump, I, I, I don't know if he would endorse him, but if it were next time, say if Trump had served another term and then DeSantis were up, he'd probably endorse him if he were the nominee, maybe even beforehand. That's rough and tumble politics. But furthermore, I think what DeSantis understands very keenly is political timing. DeSantis is the man right now. He is at, I think, the height of his political powers as governor of Florida. I don't think he's going to become more prominent and more powerful the later into his second term it gets because he's going to get term limited out in 2026. So then there's going to be two years between the time he was governor and the time that he could run for president. That's a, that's a lifetime in politics. And some new Ron DeSantis might pipe, pop up in the meantime. So I think the governor sees, okay, this is my moment. I have to run now. But running against Trump is a surefire way for Trump not to pick you for vice president. So if Trump were able to serve four terms, he'd probably endorse whoever he picked as his vice president, assuming that that person didn't get on his bad side during, during his administration. And so it, it, DeSantis just recognizes, okay, we're not playing low stakes here. I'm going to try to kind of curry favor with Trump. We're going to run a kind of a nice primary and then maybe he'll endorse me next time. This is all or nothing. He says, this is my moment. I'm going to run. And 
if I don't win, then maybe I can try to run next time. But this, this is my moment right now. And Trump is thinking the same thing. And then who knows, in four years, you could have a totally different guy. Four years ago, did Ron DeSantis look like he would be one of the leading candidates for president? No, he didn't. A handful of people saw that he had a lot of political potential, but among the wide voters, no, not really. Same thing with Trump. Four years before 2016, did people think Trump was going to be the nominee? No. Politics moves very, very fast. These are big boys with thick skin. They know what they're getting into. Next question. Hello, Mr. Noel, slayer of neocons and owner of libs. Longtime viewer here, first time messaging in using a friend's account, actually, and I would like to thank her for that. Anyway, I've got two questions. First one is how does it feel to be the best host at the Daily Wire? And the second question is, to what extent do you think the Second Amendment applies, like starting with machine guns, going up to tanks and nuclear bombs? My view is we should basically have access to anything the government would realistically use against us as long as someone's willing to sell and sellers are not immoral. This would mean nukes are off the table because I don't think no matter what, the corrupt people in power would ever have the cojones to nuke American soil. This would mean repealing the NFA and abolishing the ATF. Very interested to see what you think because this is looked at as a more libertarian view, and I'm a traditional Christian conservative, not a naive, thumb-sucking libertarian. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to your response. That might be the most beautifully written question I've ever received on this show. <laughs> That's real. How does it feel to be the best host of Daily Wire? It feels great. And uh, you are a traditional Christian conservative and not, in your words, a naive, thumb-sucking libertarian. So you, you are espousing a more libertarian point of view here, but I get it. I feel you. The Second Amendment is very important. The right to protect ourselves is very important. My answer on these questions and my interpretive principle, I guess, for, for how to make sense of the Second Amendment is one that takes into account history takes into account the original public meaning, sure, of the Second Amendment, and also takes into account prudence. And I think that's what you're saying as well. You say, I think the people should have access to any weapons that the government has. Well, the government has nuclear weapons, which you, which you address, and you say, I just don't think they'd ever actually use that on us. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not true, but now you're introducing an element of prudence here to distinguish between the weapons that the, the civilians can have and the weapons that the government is permitted to possess. And so I would apply, apply that as well. And I would strongly curtail the anti-gun, anti-Second Amendment activities of you know the federal government through the ATF or whatever. I'd be happy to do all of that. But I, I wouldn't give you some firm, you know, this is the cutoff weapon. The Tommy gun is okay, but the bazooka is not okay, or whatever. I, I, I think you, you ought to apply this rule prudentially and practically, by the way. One of the biggest uh, reasons why the libs have been unable to curtail our Second Amendment rights is because Americans have so many guns. It would just be, if, if Americans had fewer guns, they would have confiscated them already. The fact that there are many more guns than people in the United States is one of the reasons why they just kind of give up. And so another practical way that I would defend the Second Amendment is I would encourage people to just buy guns and be responsible with them, obviously, store them properly, know how to use them, know how to use them especially. But uh, the, the way to defend a right is less effective through a judicial ruling and much more effective through practice and tradition, which is what I would base my interpretive principle on. Next question. Hi, Michael. This is the Schuckmeister. I wanted to thank you for inspiring me to finally read Dante. I just finished The Inferno, and it was so good I couldn't put it down. I'm starting Purgatorio, 
But I was wondering, which part of the Divine Comedy is your favorite and why? Love the show. Thanks. Great. Uh, probably Paradise, actually. The Divine Comedy is three parts. Most people have heard of Dante's Inferno, but the, the, you know, there's the second part, which is Purgatory, and the third part is Heaven. And the Inferno is very sexy because it's got all these brutal punishments. And, you know, which part have I read the most? Probably the Inferno over the years because it's just so saucy and it's the one that everyone reads. But Purgatory is really brilliant. I, 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 I love lots of Purgatory and the images in Purgatory. But then in Paradise, it, you'll just cry. You know, it's just so beautiful, especially at the end of Paradise. And there's all sorts of brilliant stuff throughout the whole canticle. But uh, in particular, I sometimes refer to when Dante meets his ancestor, his illustrious ancestor, Cacciaguida, in heaven. And Cacciaguida complains about immigrants coming to Florence and ruining the city. Which is <laughs> just, just great. And gives him some other political advice on partisanship. But, and then there's, oh goodness, there's so many, so many wonderful parts of the poem. But then at the end, when Dante is, is beholding the Godhead, it, the last time I read it, this is sort of embarrassing. I was sitting there, I was catching up. I was doing, and I was reading an English translation of it because I was preparing to do it for the, uh, the book show at PragerU. And I'm sitting there reading the last three contos and I'm just sitting at my desk crying, crying like a little baby because it's so beautiful. So, yeah, you know, make it all the way through. Even if you look at medieval manuscripts of Dante, you'll see that there are all sorts of notes you know, marginalia in, in Inferno, and then it kind of slows down over time. So if you've never made it to the end of the poem, you're in very good company. It's true even of, of medieval monks, but you should try to make it to the end because it's very, very good. Okay, today's Fake Headline Friday, baby. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.